0: Aloha and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we pull our favorite books off the shelf, blow the dust off them, and remind ourselves why it is we love them so. My name is Tom Galli, and joining me today is Tony Pasculi. Great to be here, Tom. And today we are wrapping up our five-book series by Stephen R. Donaldson, The Gap Cycle with The Gap Into Ruin, This Day All Gods Die.
1: All right. So book five of the series, you picked the series. So we already know it's a favorite. You've read it three, four, maybe five times, which is uh, amazing. What about, I mean, so obviously you're not going to start the series and then not read the fifth one. (laughs) What about the fifth book specifically is a favorite book?
0: Holy guacamole, what a thrill ride. I mean, this, I mean, I I did not know before I I came across this series, I did not know you could have a novel-length climax. Um, And that, in my mind, is what this is. You know, Donaldson has woven this incredibly complex tapestry. And as you, I mean, last time, every book he just keeps adding to it, adding to layers of complexity, adding layers of characters, adding layers of uh, plot and subterfuge and whatnot. And now it's all... Coalescing into this fireball of action. I mean, even the government meeting scenes are action packed. You know, it, uh, whoosh, th- bang, wapow. You know, this is the Michael Bay episode yes. of, of the series.
1: It's it's amazing. Brandon Sanderson talks about that in his writing process. He spends like, you know, half or three quarters of a book getting all the pieces into the place so we can have an epic finale. And that's, it feels like, what Donaldson has done here uh, is, cause this is epic. It's, it, this is by far, uh, the most exciting and most interesting book of the series for me. Um, in fact, I mean, you couldn't start with this book, but man, if I could have read this series in reverse order, <laughs> I'd probably like it <laughs> 10 times as much. Cause that first book put me off so much, but this last book is terrific.
0: It's really good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It uh, you know, and we've had action and adventure in all the books leading up to this, you know, and, and but. Nothing on this scale and, and not with this much consistency, you know, and you've, you've got mixed, you know, you've got the race against time as they're trying to, you know, Hashi and his team are trying to find the proof that uh, that whole fastener is actually behind the bombings. You've got the the physical conflict, you know, between the amnion and humanity, you've got the... S- covert spy mission. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the the hostage situation. Uh, you've got the courtroom dramas, and you know it's all one big ball. And the personal vendettas. Yeah, well, it's yeah.
1: yeah, it's great, and it's great how much it all it all ties together. It all hinges on each other. Um, yeah, it's it's very exciting. I, it's it's interesting. The second, third, and second, third, fourth, and fifth books all sort of follow a pattern for me. Of and. Uh, of sort of setting up a bunch of stuff and then having a really exciting set piece at the end, um, and uh, like in the, uh, the end of the fourth book, the big set piece was the space battle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and here, this is—it's just like you say—it's just all set piece from from almost from beginning to end. However, <laughs> however, there was a thing that really puts me off of this book. Uh, not so much that I didn't enjoy it, but there's so many POV characters. Uh, there are so many POV characters we are switching around frantically from character to character, and not all those POVs I really kind of want or enjoy, but, but Donaldson does a thing uh, where I call it the, the two steps back, one step forward shuffle. Uh, actually, the other way around, one step back, two steps forward shuffle, where every time we switch to a new POV, the first thing that new POV character does is reflect on everything that just happened in the previous mm-hmm. chapter, and it's just like, oh my God, we just, <laughs> did, we just did this. yeah. Uh, and then sort of leaping ahead again with the next exciting part. And it's like, ah, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't
0: necessary for me. But yeah, but yeah. other than that, yeah, this is great. So there are, now one of the fun things, oh, there's so many fun things in this. Um, okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. Throw it out. Donaldson really likes the word apotheosis. Oh, is that the word you picked out? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is the sort of word that I think most people might, might utter two or three times in a lifetime, Yeah, right? And it ends up being one of the critical words, one of the words that will free Angus from some of the restrictions of his data core. Yes. And, and you know, I wanted to mention this in an earlier recording session, but I didn't want to tip my hand, but he sprinkles it through the entire series. You know, we, we have, you know, Morn in is craving a sexual apotheosis when she's in the, when she's using the, the Zorn... Zorn control? The zone control Uh to placate Nick. Um, Three or four times during these other books and completely unrelated things, he slips apotheosis in there. I don't know if he's priming us for it to be this important word, but he doesn't do it with the other secret words.
1: Interesting. Uh, At least apotheosis is a word that I had heard before. Uh, He's got another word which he uses extensively, especially in books four and five, Brisance. Which that he does. Right? I had never heard that before. It's such a singular word, and it's just like I'm just going to use this everywhere. And brisance, by the way, is the is the quality of expanding rapidly to the point of
0: being an explosion. Yeah. Well, the Amiens used slow brisance drive in their yeah. their big ass warships. Yeah, he does. There's a few of those that he likes to toss in there, but I just, I just found it intriguing or odd, rather, that, you know, one of the words, and there's, you know, the other one is vasectomy, and then the
1: <laughs> other sepulcher. one's a word
0: that I have seen in print and never tried to pronounce before. Go for it. Sepulchre. Sepulchre. There we yeah. go. Which, by the way, he should have watched some Marvel movies. If you've got a key phrase to to make changes to the programming, it shouldn't be a word that somebody could accidentally say, right? It should be a series of abstract. But whatever. Yeah. Because, you know, Dios does a, a cool job of slipping that into casual conversation with Angus. Um, yes. And, of course, there's also the word to melt his brain. So,
1: Yeah, that's sepulchre, right? Yeah. Uh, apotheosis is the word to free him of all restrictions. Um, no.
0: I think that gives him access to the databases. Access to the databases, yes. Voluntary and access. is facectomy. the word
1: that, that frees him of all limitations so he can actually attack UMCP personnel. Yep. Yeah. What
0: a choice, what a hard choice that was for Warden Dios to make. I mean. Yeah. He knows, you know, he is imprisoned on an Amnion ship with mutagens in his veins at that point. Um, And he knows, he knows how Angus got that information. He knows the kind of person that Angus is. But he trusts the fact that Morn has chosen to trust Angus. um, And he rolls a dice and frees him. Yeah. And and here we see... Angus drift even farther from himself, right? When Angus himself comes up with the plan to both free Dios and destroy the Amnion warship, um, even though he's no longer compelled. In fact, he was refusing to do it when he was compelled. Yes.
1: That's yeah, good. I think one of, the, one of the things about Angus is that if nothing else, he's consistent. There's someone, uh, there's someone who's got a great quote about they'd rather trust a, uh, a liar than an honest man because you can always count on a liar to be a self-interested and do what you expect them to do, <laughs> and an honest man is going to just do some arbitrary random thing in the name of nobility. Sometimes they're very hard to predict, so you, so even though the liar's a liar, you can you can plan around him, whereas the honest man is a is a random variable. Yeah. yeah. So and Angus is very much that he's he's so true to being Angus. Yeah. Um, I think Warden trusts him again towards the end. Uh, to,
0: to go off and kill
1: Holt Fastener. And yep. he's, like, he's like, yeah, I know you're going to do it <laughs> because you're you.
0: Yep. Yeah. And nothing would make you happier. hmm Yeah. That's kind of, you know, Angus ends up being a key member as a savior of humanity.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because at that point, Holt Fastener, most powerful man in the universe, after, after screwing up, uh, after losing his courtroom battle, uh, of being outed as a traitor to humanity is then not just in uh, sending causes against people and sort of manipulating human beings and uh, oh, what's the third thing he does? Hiding the
0: anti mutagen anti-mutagen drugs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he fires on a human base. He fires <laughs> on the seat of government, so the, the yeah. headquarters for the GCES while they are in session. <laughs> he has figured out how to do this. This was a contingency he planned for. Yeah. Right. And only the fact that um, that Holt and Min and Hashi had kind of seen this could happen, you know, and Min took appropriate action, you know, the instant he started doing it, uh, the UMCP cordon, which was supposed to be, you know, there to protect against the Amnion, fires on mm-hmm. Holt Fastener's space station.
1: Yeah. And even with all that, he's ready to flee to the Amnion, sell all of humanity out for the chance to live forever. And Angus is the one who stops him.
0: Yep. So... In an open-ended sort of way. I like to think that uh, he got to work to exercise some of his uh, personal demons on Holt for a while.
1: Yeah, well, this is an interesting choice for Warden who says, yeah, don't just kill him.
0: (laughs) Rip his heart out. Yeah. Yeah. Warden's got some angst there too. Yeah, Plus he he knows he's about to die. He has to die because otherwise he's going to be Amnion. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets a noble suicide. He gets a great death. Um, And actually this leads to Right, so in the, the aftermath, you know, the GCES, GC, yeah, Governing Council for Earth and Space, GCES, has recharted the UMCP um, as just, I don't even remember what they recharted them as, but it's, it's no longer, the, the police no longer belong to UMC, they belong to the... Are they uh, the
1: SDP at that point, or am I pulling that from somewhere else? Uh,
0: I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but then they have, you know, these... these Committee hearings um, and recommendations, and absolutely everyone gets absolved of absolutely everything. <laughs> um, and I just think that is far too reasonable a way for a governing council to behave. I can't believe, despite the fact that they've all survived this thing and they all have a newfound appreciation for life and a newfound respect for what Warden Diaz was actually doing and for how horrible a dragon was, they're never going to agree enough that everyone gets absolved of everything, you know?
1: That, okay, I noted that, and at the same time, I was like, yeah, I don't object to this because that's what I wanted.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a happy ending, um, and and Donaldson books as screwed up as they are, Donaldson books do tend, or at least Donaldson stories, I shouldn't say books, but the Donaldson stories do tend to give us happy endings. Um, yeah,
1: that that moment, that conclusion also struck me as very Heinlein esque, where where the good guys get all their ducks lined up in a row, and the bad guys just take their just punishment. And, and yeah it, it seems after after all the the, the calumny and, and invective of the um, court session up to that point or council session up to that point uh, then they're just like everybody steps up and does the right thing It's just yeah. like not only will we honor warden Dios's wishes with respect to you we award you these medals of valor <laughs> yep <laughs> nah yeah but at the same time even though I was kind of going eh, you know, we're we're six 600 pages into the book at that point. <laughs> I don't have the energy to to hear this drawn out in a more realistic two or 300 pages of arguing. Uh, yeah. And it yeah, was a yeah. very satisfying... It would have added satisfying. anything to it the wouldn't story. Have. It yeah. would have. It would have added some realism, but it's like, ah, I don't need it at this point. It was a very satisfying conclusion. Yep, yeah,
0: indeed. Uncharacteristic, unexpected <laughs> after what we've been through yes. you know, with the last five books for everything yeah. to turn out so... With such brisance Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, how about those impractical singularity grenades? Oh man, yeah. those things just are never coming in handy. <laughs> yeah,
1: love that. Although you know, uh, so Ciro sets off a singularity grenade, but he has to do it manually,
0: basically. Yep. He suicides by singularity grenade, but he yeah. takes the Amnion warship with him. Yep.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's a fair trade, but yeah. still, it's a it's a lot to ask. But yep. he's he's uh, and I think uh, his sister makes this point. He's so far gone that this is the best end that he could hope for. He's never coming back from what Soros did to him. Yeah. Uh, so this is a nice way for him to go out. Uh, but at the same time, to lean on that too hard is to sort of diminish what he does, which is still yeah, she's like, a lot.
0: She says some long lines, if he'd been a cop, you'd have called him a hero. Yes, Right. exactly. Yeah. Everybody's like, ooh, well, quite right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I have a favorite line in this book. Okay. <laughs> Uh, killing him is like shooting at the decor. It makes a mess, but it doesn't change anything. <laughs> this is a speculation of why uh, there was a Kazi attack against Godson Frick. No, yeah. nothing beyond that. It just, I just really like that line. That's a good line.
0: <laughs> it, 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 it turns out there actually wasn't an attack against Godson yeah. Frick, right? It was it was show. Godson was actually the one controlling the, mm, right. the Kazi. It was supposed to look like an attack on him to scare the GCES into yeah. doing what Holt wanted. But yeah, that is a good line. <laughs> so in the whole series, one of the things that, uh, that sticks out in my mind is how fantastically useful EVA is. Right? Yes. So in book one, uh, it shows up twice. Um, Angus uses EVA to tap Nick's communication lines, um, and Nick uses EVA to, to frame Angus for the crime. In the fourth book, we have EVA, that's how they defeat, um, or at least how Nick damages Uh, source Chatelaine's ship, Um, Mm -hmm. and then shortly thereafter is how Angus detonates the Singularity Grenade, saving Trumpet, and throwing himself into a coma. Before that, at Billingate, they went EVA to sabotage the power thing to get into the Amnion base to rescue Morn and Davies. And then here they go EVA to destroy the uh, Amnion defensive, Um, and again, detonating, you know, these giant space battles are all run by somebody in a space <laughs> space suit floating around up there,
1: which is amazing. And it's you know, until you said that, I hadn't realized how much Donaldson leans on that. But it's a it's a very exciting tactic. To I mean, it's it's kind of boring to just have two massive ships just pounding each other with yep. with distance weapons. It's very exciting to have someone actually go EVA and transfer from ship to ship and crawl around on the hull and do some damage or plant a uh, grenade. Yeah, it's like basically. the SEAL
0: team scaling yeah. the, the walls yeah. of the the Russian destroyer or something like that. Yeah, it
1: is. It is thrilling. It's it's part of what makes these action sequences so exciting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: but he does you know unexpected tactics at every turn, right? Yeah. you know, again the impractical singularity grenades. They find a way to make them practical using EVA as a, as a tool like that. There's some stuff that happens when Angus is slave to the data core. It's also unexpected, but ends up working out to Trumpets and to the crew's uh, advantage. But it's also how they end up with um, Nick in charge of Angus, Mm -hmm. right? Because Angus is not allowed to to go back to Earth, right? So he's supposed to get caught, right? So he turns on the homing beacon and he sets a course and he goes very leisurely with very short gaps, um, taking his time in between jumps To give Punisher time to catch up to him, unexpected. Yeah. They do this once, um, right after Billingate, actually. When they escape from Billingate, he takes them deeper into Amnion space and puts them in orbit around a red giant. And nobody can figure out why, including Angus. And Mm -hmm. this is something Donaldson never resolves for us. We never find out if Angus's data core forced him to behave this way. Or if it was some instinct he was following, because Angus is never sure himself why he did it.
1: Yeah, that's something that Donaldson talks about a lot. That he has these these instincts that he has just learned to trust at this point. Yep, there's just some deep inner survival instinct that just says, "Yep, do that,
0: whatever it is. If you think of it, just do it." However desperate, yeah. Yeah, and yet, and then this is part of Angus's evolution. You know, there are times, you know, Angus. He he uses the phrase I think more than once. Angus took another step away from himself. Then mm-hmm. you can see that happening. So
1: something that occurred to me in this book, uh, well, sort of has been occurring to me since book one, actually, is that this is a better Clockwork Orange than Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, of of dealing with the the horrific consequences of enslaving people's minds, of reprogramming human beings. Yeah, uh, it's just. It's just awful, and he really digs into the consequences of it, and he really makes it palpable how, how repugnant that is. I mean, if it wasn't repugnant enough in the first book, it's, you know, he really makes that when, when Angus completes his victim arc uh, of how repugnant it is, even to do it to someone like Alex in Clockwork Orange or Angus in, in uh, yep. yeah, the Gap Cycle.
0: Yep, it, it is very thoroughly explored. It's funny, I was thinking about Clockwork Orange. Recently, that last chapter, how did, we just, how did you describe <laughs> it? A blight on the book? Yeah. yeah. Oh, terrible. Terrible.
1: Yay, U.S. publishers for removing <laughs> it
0: from the first edition. <laughs> Donaldson is rarely transparent. Um, and there's a scene in here, and it's when they're attacking the Amnion ship, when they're going on and trying to get Warden Dios, and they're carrying the extra space suit. It's like, clearly someone has to die. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, at the moment it's like, okay, we're we're going to do this, we've got the elaborate plan, we're leaving the ship, and we're carrying an extra spacesuit. Because yeah. he'll need an extra spacesuit, right? Yeah. It's like clearly someone has to die because the spacesuit, someone's spacesuit, has to get damaged and they have to make a choice about who's this. Yeah. It's it's just, you know, I hate I don't think transparency, I don't think trope in Donaldson. Um and that was just so blatantly obvious.
1: The, uh I don't know. I don't think it was I mean, I don't think it was clumsily handled.
0: It's just No, it was fine. It just it uh, just wasn't it's not worthy of him. Yeah. It's like what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Of course, yeah. Well yeah. Why don't we pack two spacesuits? Because <laughs> you know we're going into a firefight, one of us might, you know. They are pretty bulky.
1: I imagine that spacesuit is a hard thing to carry you around. If you have a spacesuit, mean, you can travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw back to an earlier episode, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if we get a lot of detail in this book about about how the spacesuits are constructed. I assume they're much uh, sleeker and more mobile than what we used in the Apollo missions, but those those were like what hundreds of pounds. I want to say. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and in, in a microgravity environment, the absolute weight doesn't matter, but the mass sure does. It's, yeah. They're bulky and they're going to...
0: And I really appreciated that he dealt with that when they had uh, Ciro trying to move the singularity grenade. Yeah, because they're 500 kilograms Trump of mass. Over to the you get it going chip. and
1: then you try to stop it by bracing yourself on the hull, it's just going to flatten you. Yep. you can't, it feels light, but it's not. Yeah. It's
0: crazy because, I mean, <laughs> you put the energy into it that got it moving. It yeah. seems like you should be able to... reabsorb that energy but uh, yeah but i love you know that that little micro plot point in there you know he's out there he's ready to kill himself with the grenade he wants to kill himself with the grenade his his challenge is waiting long enough um but yet he's afraid to move because the amnion have a spotlight on the hull and he doesn't want them to see him so by the time that they're distracted you know by the main gun blowing up or whatever it is no that was by Holt firing on the on earth, and then all the ships firing yeah, so on. you're thinking
1: of something in book four. Right, but right.
0: Yeah. But yeah, then he gets that, he struggles to get that thing into motion.
1: Yeah, yeah, because they're tough to, ac- that much mass is tough to accelerate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so stuff like that tends to lend more credence to his other things. It's like, well, maybe he's not completely talking out of his ass when he talks about <laughs> these other things that seem pretty bogus. But like he has another bit about the, about the singularity grenades again. Uh, he talks about mini black holes. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, but black holes have a temperature? Are, uh, you, are you aware? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So that's, I never know, I read so much pop sci and science fiction that I never know what other people know about these things. So this is something that, this is a very counterintuitive result that Stephen Hawking discovered, is that black holes have a temperature. People are like, what? They're black. Stuff goes in, it doesn't come out. But if stuff's coming out, uh, stuff has to be coming out for it to be radiating, mm-hmm. right? And how Hawking explained it is that you have these virtual particle pairs, which appear near the event horizon. Something goes boop, and it turns into a proton or an antiproton, and then the antiproton, or one of them, one of them gets sucked in because it's on the wrong side of the event horizon. The other one gets pew, ejected. So it looks as if it looks as if it's been spit out of the black hole even though it just appeared near the event horizon. But it has the same effect because the one that goes in slows down the black hole when it absorbs that mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so this is what, uh, what Donaldson says. Uh, Small black holes burn hotter than large ones. The hotter they burn, the faster they consume themselves. Black hole with the mass of a star remains cool enough to feed and grow, but a black hole with no more mass than a planet might be well less than a centimeter in diameter, a tiny thing despite its vast G, hot as the core of the sun. So and that is exactly in line with what we believe about black holes
0: today, uh, and a nice little detail which I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. So, so he does. There's some good hard sci-fi in here. There so that is really yeah. lends, like I say, lends credence to the places where it's not quite so <laughs> yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like uh, one place where it was not as happy is he's talking about the amnioni, and uh, they have their their sort of radial symmetry. And they have four eyes that are, mm-hmm. so they have no binocular vision, which seems like a bad plan, but okay. But then this, this creature which has four eyes has three arms. And I'm just like, oh, that just, oh, that bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> that is something yep. you never see. But then it turns out later that the number of arms is completely variable from individual to individual. So,
0: okay, whatever. Yep. But yeah. It could be a fashion statement. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly it's within the realm of, of Amnion society that they can yeah. customize themselves. Yes. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, what else? What else about this book? What else do you love?
0: And again, this, there's, there's almost nothing in this book I don't love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's all just so tense. But I mean, even when you're talking about we're sitting in a council meeting, um, yeah. they find a way to make it tense. You know, the the inner dialogues and the motivations of the characters, knowing that the clock is running with these external events, yeah. um, you know, wondering, you know, I love, I absolutely love when Cletus Fane starts to come apart and say, you can't do this, he won't <laughs> let you do this, he's going to kill us all. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You have the dragon's assistant, the mouth of the dragon sitting there saying, he's going to kill us all. That should really tell you something. Yeah. You know, it's, there's just... It's unrelenting excitement um, and excitement from places that you don't expect excitement.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed, in, in terms of the council meeting, they did a lot of legwork in book four on researching the the ID tags of the, the Kaze and, mm-hmm. and tying that back to uh, Holt Fastener and this is like, oh, this is definitely going to come into play. And then it doesn't, uh, and, they, and it managed to drop just in the nick of time in this council meeting, before they take a disastrous vote to give Fastener even more power than he already has, because the guy who has this information can't get a can't get an outside line uh, to the person who needs to relay it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's some some nail biting tension
0: there. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah, and he, he sustains it for almost the entire novel. You yeah. know, and like I said, this 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 is a novel length climax. Yeah,
1: it was good. It yeah. was it was this was a really fun read. Uh, this was this was the I. I enjoyed parts of all of the books except for the first book. Uh, But this one I enjoyed almost all the way through. Yeah, it was terrific.
0: So having completed it, is this a journey you're happy you took? Uh, I can't say that I'm happy I took it, but I will say having completed
1: it, I'm not, I'm, now that I'm on the other side of it, uh, I'm glad that it's, I don't know what to say. I'm glad that it's over. (laughs) I don't know. I found the conclusion to the series very, very satisfying. But if I had the option to go back to the beginning, and and uh, it's like, what if I just I don't know, I, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Yeah,
0: it's there's a <laughs> lot of darkness and you have to swallow it to, to get to the yeah to the end. You know, and although the end is is ridiculously happy, you know, I think if I'd read this
1: earlier in my life, I would have enjoyed it more. Uh, something I've noticed is that I've become more squeamish with some things, like. I you know I'm a I'm a I'm a fight director for God's sake I mm-hmm. you know I my trade is violence uh, and and I violence almost never bothers me in movies or fiction and and the violence in the first two books of this series
0: really troubled me it was just very uncomfortable um, well it was very real yeah yeah in the way that you know on screen violence is not, or on-stage violence is not.
1: Usually is not, yeah. Usually yeah. usually on-screen violence defaults into action.
0: Saving Private Ryan. I mean, oh my God, the, the first yeah. 20 minutes of that movie are just so hard to watch. Um, I have the opposite reaction. Really? It just seems so over the top. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Just, I, I have, I, I I have a hard time, time watching that on.
0: just because it seems so believable to me. It's, um, it's
1: believable, and yet I don't know. We know the casualty rate wasn't that high. So I mean, it was high. It was very, very high, and a lot of people died. It was terrible. But the first twenty minutes of that movie looked like if you step foot on that beach, you're going to get ripped in half, with machine gun bullets.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, compared that to say Mission Impossible, yes, right, or an Expendables. I mean, you know, the the violence in those is so cartoony. There's there's yes. there's no reason to feel bad about it.
1: There's a movie called The Kingdom. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I don't think that I have. Uh, it's about a, um, a bomb that goes off in Saudi Arabia at a U.S. Uh, installation. And, and normally this would be investigated by Saudi police and they get a special dispensation to send, you know, American investigators over to investigate this. And it you know, all kinds of questions of sovereignty about that. And there's a fight that takes place in that that more than any other fight I've ever seen really convinced me that it was two people trying to kill each other as opposed to people, you know, executing some very cool elaborate fight moves Mm -hmm. to gain an advantage, which would result in the other person's death and they would win. But, you know, but this was just like, oh my God, it was so gripping and so tense. It's like, if this person doesn't get this thing in time, he's going to die. And that other person's going to, oh, yeah. Uh, It was, yeah, that level of, violence, it was so much more visceral than what you normally see. But even that didn't bother me. I was thrilled by it. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is intense. This bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably because a lot of it was sexual violence, which was yeah. made it much more uncomfortable. Yeah. And it was unrelenting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, like I said, if I'd read it in high school, I probably wouldn't. ah, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, when did you first read these books?
0: You know, I, I can remember having discussions about them when I was, you know, an undergraduate, um, just starting college, you know, so okay. this would have been 95, 96, I was having discussions with my friends about them. Yeah. Um, so I was reading them when they were fairly fresh off the press, I might have read them in high school, I don't know, I know what happened was after that, after I discovered Donaldson and I had read The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, yeah. um, uh, nothing would do, but i read everything I could get my hands on by Donaldson. Yeah. You know, and I was jumping up and down, waiting. It's like, you you got to write a second Chronicles. You, yeah. You've you got to write the Chronicles of Lyndon Avery, which he never did. Stephen, you listening out there? <laughs> Chronicles of Lyndon Avery. I read
1: the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant in high school, really enjoyed them because I would read anything that had any epic fantasy, and, and I, I loved parts of them, but also didn't love parts of them, mm-hmm. you know, and Thomas Covenant in particular was a real... Problematic hero for me, but uh, but apparently he raped somebody in those books uh-huh. that didn't even register
0: with me when I read it in high school. Well, it's we're, we're, we're completely different book here. Yeah, uh, but that is, is such a minor scene, right? Hmm. He uh, Thomas Covenant has just woken up in the land. Um, yeah. He's been a leper for decades, right? Yeah. Um, and he has suddenly been miraculously cured. Um, yeah. by this, this substance they call a loam. And the young lady, the prime of her sexual youth, you know, late teenage girl that had found him and taken him to get healed happens to be there. Um, and in this this madness of recovered health and recovered sensation and whatnot, yeah, he rapes her. But in the book, it's it just happens quickly, yeah. right? Um, he doesn't spend any time on it. Um, it's it's un, very unlike the Gap series, right? We're we're not given any details. It's yeah. just a statement of fact. This happened, and they moved on. Um, you know, and then it has terrible consequences for the the remainder of that trilogy.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, but you you blink and you miss it. You blink yeah. and you miss the actual event in the
1: in that book. Interesting, because I've heard people say since that they couldn't read those books because they got to that scene and just. Poof.
0: Well my no, recollection I'm saying, I'm saying that it goes comes and goes. My recollection I haven't read those in a while. My recollection yeah. is a, it's a very brief scene. Yeah. Um but it does it does pollute the rest of the book. The rest of the trilogy yeah. actually.
1: I could see I could see just checking out of that hero completely at that moment even if it's just you know, sort of mentioned in passing. It's just like, ugh, no. I don't want to invest Well, I think until he came this. up
0: with Angus, yeah. the Thomas Covenant was probably the antiest of antiheroes. <laughs> He's um, pretty
1: antihero. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, it's a shame I didn't read these books in high school. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that wasn't in high school when they came out, actually. Oh, no <laughs> when was this book written? Book five.
0: This one was written in 90-something. 96.
1: 96. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shoot. I was done with college and Microsoft at that point. All right, so where are we going next? Uh, where are we going next? I mean, yep, I'm up first. I don't know, we just read
0: five of mine. <laughs> sure, I could throw out right. my next one. But.
1: Yeah, okay, let's read, uh, let's go back to some Heinlein. I mentioned a couple times that there were some, some aspects of these books that were Heinleinesque, uh, and uh, and I try not to, to, you know, go back to that. I, I could just read, you know, Every single week. and Pick another favorite book that's written by Heinlein.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of really yeah. good Heinlein out there. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that bandwagon. So I'm trying to go
1: no more than once a year will I go back to that author. Uh, but one of my all-time favorite Heinlein books, one of my all-time favorite books, uh, a a sort of weird take on the fantasy, kind of in the way that, um, speaking of, Thomas Covenant is a weird you know sort of anti-hero take on... Mm-hmm. This is a sort of anti fantasy take on fantasy novels,
0: Glory Road. Glory by Road. Hyland. It's been years. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.